You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're going to drive! Sweet. There's a shot! High drive! Out of here! This laser beam of a home run for Brandon Crawford. First home run of the year for the Giants, and it's Joey Bart. Is. Challenger strikes out swinging. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. What a performance from Logan Webb tonight. Camilo Doval gets the save. Inside Giant Moments. Yastrzemski. Gone! And late night Lamont strikes, strikes again. again. Belt was all over it. The captain. Great call, partner. With Adam Copeland. What is going on? Welcome back into the Inside Giant Moments podcast. I'm your host, Adam Copeland. A really, really, really fun episode today. I'm pretty sure I say every week it's a fun episode. That's because all I do is have fun on the Inside Giant Moments podcast, but especially fun today because we're going to take a walk down memory lane to 2012. Our guest today, former San Francisco Giants starting pitcher and two-time world champion, also an all-star with the Giants back in 2011, Ryan Vogelsong is back to share some of his stories of the 2012 season. Uh, The Giants are celebrating the 2012 12 World Series team this Saturday against the Pittsburgh Pirates at Oracle Park. It's like we just keep getting celebration after celebration after celebration for this uh, this season, which is a lot of fun. Obviously, going to be tough to top the Will Clark one, but 2012, when I think back about that World Series season, 2010 to me, I don't want to say it's a blur or a haze, but because we had never been there before as San Francisco Giants fans, it had been generations going back to 1954. No San Francisco team had ever won a World Series. So to me, when I think back about 2010, it's just the emotion you had about it. The feeling was overwhelming. The nerves about it after losing in 2002 and getting eliminated in the first round of 2003, not going to the playoffs from 2003 all the way to 2010. And then the new guys that were there, your Matt Cains, your Madison Bumgarners, Tim Lincecum after a couple of Cy Young Awards. Barry Bonds was only three years removed from his final season as a San Francisco Giant. So there was a lot of emotion that went into 2010. When I think about 2012 and I think about the moments, like they say you never forget your first. For me, 2012 is almost more fun because of where the Giants had to get to in order to repeat as World Series champions for the second time in three years. You figure 2010 starts the Buster Posey era of San Francisco Giants baseball, right? He comes up, wins Rookie of the Year, sets them on a run to beat the Texas Rangers in the World Series. They eliminate the Braves in the first round, who they were never supposed to get past. It was a magical run. 2012 a little bit different because if you recall in 2011, Buster Posey goes down with a gruesome leg injury, and we didn't know if he was going to come back and be the same guy. We didn't know if he'd be able to shoulder the load behind the plate and do for the pitching staff what he did back in 2010. Well, we we should have known better because if we had any idea who Buster Posey was as a player, him winning both the batting title and the MVP would have been no surprise. However, it was an incredible move to come back and do that and win comeback player of the year after the gruesome injury in 2011. 2011, they went out and they got Ryan Vogelsong, right? He makes the team out of camp, ends up becoming an all-star for the first time in his career, a 10-year gap from the time he was traded to the Pittsburgh Pirates in 2001 to when he returned in 2011. And that's how far removed we are now from that 2012 World Series. Then you think about the rest of that 2012 season. Melky Cabrera is leading the league in batting average. Uh, Matt Cain throws a perfect game. They get Hunter Pence at the trade deadline. He and Melky cross paths for one day before it's just Hunter Pence, and then the entire lineup looks different after that. They go down 2-0 to the Cincinnati Reds, and if you recall, the schedule was different for the playoffs that year. It's actually much like the Giants had to deal with in 1997 against the Florida Marlins because they added that second wildcard team where we got the one-game wildcard playoff, but because they added that wrinkle after the schedule had been made for the season, 
they did not have enough off days scheduled in the postseason to make up for that extra day. So they changed the playoff structure. And again, this is what I'm saying about the Giants in 1997. In 97, the Giants had home field advantage. I'm doing air quotes here because they played two games in Florida and then supposed to play three games back in San Francisco in the division series. And if it got to a game five, the Giants would have had that game at Candlestick Park. Well, they lose the first two to Florida. Come on home. They play one against the Marlins in 97. They were the home field team. They got one game at home and that was it. That's sort of what the Giants were looking at in 2012. They faced the Cincinnati Reds at home. The Reds were the home field advantage team. So two in San Francisco and then three in Cincinnati. Giants just get the ba- the brakes beat off of them in game one and game two. And if you recall, this is sort of important. Johnny Cueto started game one for the Reds, got injured in the first inning of that game. And Dusty Baker, manager of the Reds at the time, decided to go to his game two starter. Didn't go bullpen game, decided to go tab Matt Latos, who came out, finished on, finished off that game one and got the win. And you go game two, the Reds win again. Well, game three is where you need Ryan Vogelsong to be the stopper. He shows up in Cincinnati and Homer Bailey, who was having a brilliant season for the Reds, $100 million contract, throws a no-hitter into the seventh inning. Joaquin Arias hits a ground ball up the third baseline to Scott Rowland, who inexplicably makes an error. The Giants end up winning the game 2-1. to one. We know what happens in game four. Of course, you get the, the Hunter Pence speech before game three. They win game four, and then here comes game five. Maybe my favorite moment, one of my favorites, so hard to pick. It's just you, you get... You you become a, a victim of the moment or a prisoner of the moment when you start walking down memory lane here. Maybe my favorite moment in all of the 2012 postseason. I know Marco Scudero in the rain was incredible. I was there when Pablo hit three home runs in the World Series off of Justin Verlander. But it's got to be, for me, for all my money, for all my favorite Giants memories, Buster Posey's Grand Slam off of Matt Latos in Game 5 of the Division Series. Let, let's just hear it. Let's listen to it before we get to some Ryan Vogel song. Pagan in third, Scudero in second, Sandoval at first. The pitch. There's a swing. A long, high fly ball deep to left field. And upper deck. Goodbye. A grand slam for Buster Posey. The Giants have scored six in the fifth inning in this elimination game. Oh, how great is it to hear the quiet of the Cincinnati fans after that ball leaves the ballpark? I remember Ryan Hannigan, the catcher behind the plate for the Reds, immediately turned his head. He knew the ball was gone, and it felt good. I know Giants fans remember how the uh, there was a little rivalry between uh, between us and Matt Latos. That was one of uh, one of my favorite moments, I think, in Giants history. Certainly my favorite Buster Posey home run. Pablo hits three in game one of the World Series. Don't forget about the great seven-game series against the Cincinnati Reds. We'll get into some of that with Ryan Vogelsong as well. I said Cincinnati Reds against the St. Louis Cardinals. It was a three-game-to-one lead for the Cardinals. I know the Warriors are known for blowing the 3-1 lead. Well, St. Louis Cardinals should be known for that, too, because the Giants get the great Game 5 in St. Louis from Barry Zito. Ryan Vogelsong comes back and wins Game 6, and then the Giants... As the skies open up at Oracle Park, end up winning Game 7. Marco Scudero wins the NLCS MVP. They go on to win the World Series to sweep the World Series against Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander and Doug Fister and Anibal Sanchez. Still the last sweep in World Series history. Why don't we just hit the uh, the final call of that, too? Relive that moment as they get the final out. Sergio Romo getting Miguel Cabrera to win the World Series. Just one of the all-time great San Francisco Giant moments. Two and two the count. Romo shakes off Posey. Now has the one he likes. Romo's 2-2 pitch on the way. Cabrera takes strike three called. And the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. And the celebration begins as the Giants mob the mound. Cabrera strikes out looking to end it. 
And not only have the Giants won the World Series, they have swept the Tigers in four games in dominant fashion. And it's the second World Series title for the Giants in the last three seasons. Hard not to have a smile on your face hearing that final call from 2012 and hard not to have a smile on your face when you hear about or talk to or think about one of the guys who was in that mob down on the pitcher's mound or at home plate when the Giants won that ball game. Our conversation with 2012 and 2014 World Series champion Ryan Vogelsong. It's a pleasure to welcome to the Inside Giant Moments podcast. You know him, Ryan Vogelsong, came up as a Giant, came back to the Giants, made an all-star team, won a couple of World Series. It's great to have you on the podcast, man, ahead of the 10-year anniversary of the 2012 World Series team. How you doing, Vogie? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. I always enjoy talking some uh, some old old times. So I mentioned you're back in town for the 2012 World Series 10-year reunion. I, I can't believe it's been 10 years. I mean, I was following that team. Team. I was uh, I was out of college. I was excited about it. I've been a Giants fan my whole life. Does it feel like it's been 10 years to you? Uh, depends on the day. Some <laughs> days, yes. Some days, no. When I look at my son and see how big he is and then look at pictures back then and see how tall he was, it feels like a long time ago, but uh, it does feel like just the other day. Yeah, man, uh, it, I imagine when you see it through through that lens, when you see your kids having grown up in that span, it's it's a little bit different. But what's crazy to me is I was thinking about this the other day. It's now been 10 years since that World Series. That's the amount of time you were gone from the organization, from being traded in 2001 to the Pirates, and then coming back for the 2011 season where you make that all-star appearance. Isn't that crazy? It's been that big of a gap in your career that it's been out of that career since you're coming back to celebrate this World Series. Man, that's crazy. I never thought about it that way, nor did I ever think like to to correlate it that way but yeah that's a, that's a, when you put it that way it is a long time I mean, you went through a lot of ups and downs, man. You, you get traded from the Giants in, in 2001 after coming up in 2000. You, you go through the arm injury. You go pitch in Japan and you come back. Thinking back to before 2011 when you came back to the big leagues and, and to San Francisco specifically, where was your mind at that point? What were you looking to do or to accomplish entering that season? Uh, so honestly, uh, 2010 was so bad that um, – I had to go to Venezuela to go to, I had to go to winter ball just to really get a, get an opportunity to get a job <clears throat> and ended up pitching really good there. I uh, had a couple offers, one being the Dodgers and I just could not, I could not sign a Dodgers contract, man. I, you know, I, it had been a long time since I had been a giant, but um, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. And the other part of that was they, the, the triple A team for the Dodgers was in Albuquerque at the time. And I'm like, I am not taking my family to Albuquerque. <laughs> so thank goodness the Giants called. And honestly, at that point in time, it was all about just trying to get back to the big leagues as a September call-up at the end of the year in 11. Um, and honestly, if I wouldn't have got caught up at the end of the year uh, as a September call-up and gotten back on the roster, that was probably going to be it for me in, in professional baseball. Um, that's kind of where I was at going into spring training. Um, thank goodness it worked out differently than that, but that's kind of my, that was my mindset going into, into spring in 2011. So 2011, you join the team, you, you make the team, you go 13 and seven with a 2.71 ERA. That's more wins than you had as parts of five seasons in Pittsburgh in total, which is just incredible. You make the all-star team and Bochi was the, the manager of the all-star team, having won the world series a year before. Can you re remember where you were or what he said to you? Cause I remember there was a big fan push. It was a great story to have you back in the bigs, but then to have your manager be the guy who gets to tab you to go to the all-star game, that had to be pretty cool. I'd imagine. Yeah. You know, we were in Detroit. Um, 
and uh, playing an early game. And I was actually supposed to start the Sunday day game. Uh, it was a Saturday night. I was supposed to start the Sunday day game. And Boach always let us leave early if we were pitching a Sunday day game or any day game. He would he wanted us to stay for like three or four or five innings, um, kind of watch the game. And then he wanted us to go home, get a good night rest and then be ready to go for the next day. So we're in Detroit and we had this massive rain delay and uh, we go in the locker room because it was raining really bad. And uh, he, they decided they were going to tell me then so that I could go home for the night and get a rest for the day game the next day. So. I remember them calling me in the office and I was like, man, what is going on right now? Am I not pitching tomorrow? Uh, why are they calling me in right now during a rain delay? And uh, yeah, they told me and it was kind of crazy because it was one of those things. I, I never I've never had social media. I've never been on, you know, Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. So uh, he's like, hey, you can't tell anybody because they're not announcing the all star team tomorrow. But you, you can call your wife and you can call your mom and dad, but don't tell anybody else and tell them not to post it. So. That was that was kind of funny because I, I had never been into that. But, uh, yeah, that's where I was. That's where I found out. And I remember uh, going home that night and just going, man, I can't believe this. Like, I don't even know how I'm going to pitch tomorrow because I can't think about anything else right now other than I'm going to the All-Star game. So, uh, yeah, what a what a cool night. Yeah, what a cool story just for that year, man. I mean, you go in hoping at some point you'll be a September call-up or that might be it for your, your professional baseball career. You end up middle of the season making the all-star team. And then obviously the season didn't go as hoped. You guys make the trade for Beltron. Buster has the big injury and didn't pan out. But then 2012 spring training comes around. I think a lot of Giants fans were looking to sort of recapture that 2010 magic. 2011 felt like it had kind of been ripped away with that uh, with that injury to Buster. You hadn't been with that team that had won a World Series, but there was a lot of veterans on that team, a lot of younger guys there who had won the world series what was the vibe going into 2012 and was the thought hey we've done this before i know buster had that sort of poise that sort of mentality you still got tim wensicum there matt kane is there what was the vibe of that team entering the 2012 season after just missing out in 2011 well you know a lot of a lot of 12 was based on buster you know we 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 didn't know how he was going to be we, we knew how significant the injury was and we knew how hard he had worked in his rehab process to get back for 12. But we honestly, you know, we knew that if he was healthy and he was on the field, he was going to perform, right? That's Buster. We just didn't know how much that was going to be. We didn't know if that meant three days a week, four days a week. What We didn't know what we were going to be able to get from, from an, uh, you know, a number of games standpoint. So that was kind of the big concern going into spring training. And then the crazy thing was about two weeks before camp, I, I herniated a disc in my back. And so, I, I mean, I started to – I missed the first series of the year because uh, I, I missed half of spring training. And it's crazy how things work. Like, if you would have told me in, in that moment that uh, I was going to hurt my back and, and be hobbling around for two months and pitch the way I did, I would have told you you were nuts. Uh, I mean, I had about three or four games that year where Buster Posey put my spikes on me on my feet before the game. And uh, he would look at me and go, are you serious? And I go, Buster, just get my shoes on. I'll tie them. But I need you to get my shoes on. So the fact that I that I did that and, and felt as bad as I did some days and still pitched the way I pitched, it was pretty amazing. 
how, how did you get through that? I mean, mentally, I imagine that's a grind. We all think about, you know, uh, great performances like that in the playoffs. You think about the Michael Jordan, the flu game, and you think about uh, uh, Kurt Schilling out there with the bloody sock and that. But there's so many things like that that go through the course of a season, especially with pitchers, because it's such a fine-tuned machine you got to be to make sure you're operating at your highest. What kind of mentality do you have to be in to get through a performance like that where you're using all your back and your torque and your hips and you don't have access to it? Honestly, honestly, but like, I, I don't want to like put this in the Michael Jordan, like flu game category. I'm not going there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I got you, but it's an injury thing. I mean, yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a I mean, thing. By, by no means was I, was I feeling great, but it's one of those things for me personally, I was like, it took me this long to get here and to finally pitch the way I wanted to pitch. Like, I'm not going to let a little bit of back pain stop me from doing what I want to do. Um, that's basically all it was for me. And, and, you know, you want to call it mental fortitude or just being tough. I mean, that's what it was. Like, there was no miraculous stuff going on. Uh, you just dig down deep and you find a way to get it done. So. It's incredible, man. It really, it really is incredible. I, I understand you're not putting it up there with the, the Jordan flu game, but you know, <laughs> you're still one of the, the best athletes on the planet out there and, and you don't have all your tools and, and you're getting the job done. So 2012 was a crazy season, man. I think back over all the years of, I've followed Giants baseball. It's one of my favorites beginning to end from storylines like, you know, Melky Cabrera is leading the league in batting average. He wins the all-star game MVP, Kane, Buster and Pablo all start, start that all-star game. And then Pablo sort of a premonition to what's going to happen. hits the bases loaded triple off of Verlander. Uh, he hits the, the three home runs in the World Series. Matt Cain throws a perfect game. Buster Posey wins the MVP. Uh, Hunter Pence shows up and starts his tenure as a San Francisco Giant. Is there any element or storyline that you think back to over that season that you say that defines kind of who we were as a team? Um, I mean, real honestly, I mean, it, when I think about that team, it, it was resilient, right? We, we battled so much stuff during the year, you know, first of all, Brian Wilson goes down a week into the season, you know, our, our all-star closers out and I don't care who you are. The last three outs of the baseball game are the hardest three outs to get in the world. It doesn't matter where you're at, where you're playing, who you have, those last three are a different beast and you got to be a different bird to do it. And we had the, one of the best in the game doing it and we lose him. Um, now we had a very good bullpen and they picked up, remarkably well and did so great the whole year but that you know when that happens you're like oh no you know and then we get about halfway through we lose Melky I mean we we trade for Hunter and we had Melky and Hunter I think in the same lineup for one day mm -hmm. um you know we're like yes we got Hunter what a great lineup we have and then the next day it was like oh no Melky's gone <laughs> you know so you know, and then the Dodgers make that huge trade and every media person on the planet's coming into San Francisco and telling us how we have no chance to beat the Dodgers. Um, so it was a roller coaster ride, man. But that's that's what you deal with on, on a regular basis. And that's what makes great teams great is you deal with the, the injuries, you deal with the adversity, you deal with the roller coaster ride and the really good ones find a way to get it done. And the, and the ones that aren't so good don't. Yeah, you think back to some of the moments from that year, some of the ones we pointed out. And, uh, yeah, the, the drama of, of having Milky win the All-Star Game MVP, hitting like 350, and then Hunter Pence shows up. And the guys tried to get him the year before and instead got Carlos Beltran and ends up being uh, one of the greatest moves in Giants history. So fast forward to the postseason that year. It was a weird scheduled postseason because they added that extra wild card game. And so it was it was strange where the, the Reds had home field advantage, but it started two in San Francisco, and then the final three would be in Cincinnati 
The Reds come out, they win game one, even though Johnny Cueto gets hurt. They win game two, I think, in pretty big fashion, like put up nine runs or something like that. Then game three, you're tasked to start. You guys are down 2-0. Homer Bailey's got like a no-hitter going into the seventh inning. You put together a pretty gritty performance. What was it like to come out and know you've got to be the stopper that day? Hunter Pence gives the speech. All that stuff happens. The rest is history. But talk to me about game three, going into being the stopper in your first playoff start of all time. Yeah, it was pretty intense two days going into that. You know, we're, we're, we fly over there on the off day and I'm sitting on the plane and I got, you know, I got everybody and their mom coming up to me on the, on the airplane trying to give me their best motivational speech like I needed anyway, right? I was, I was pretty locked in going into that. I had, you know, I had a pretty tough August, but September I was pretty good. I had my last three starts were really good. I was feeling like I was in a good spot. So, you know, you, you want you want your teammates and you want the people in the organization kind of coming up and like giving, you, you know, feeding you, feeding you, you know, the billboard stuff. But at the same time, I'm like, just leave me alone and let me do me, you know. Um, so it was a tough flight. And then, uh, you know, get over to uh, Cincinnati and it's game day and I'm just trying to lock in. And, you know, we got, you know, Boach wants to give his speech. Right. Which was amazing. It's about Gideon in the Bible and, you know. The Warriors going against the whole army, you know, his 35 going against thousands, which is a great speech, right? And then all of a sudden, Hunter stands up and blows Boach's speech out of the water um, and gives this amazing speech. But uh, at the same time, I'm sitting in the court going, hey, I just want silence, right? I just want to just be, be ready to pitch this game. But the more Hunter starts talking, I'm like, all right, this is exactly what we need. And he gets done and I'm ready to run through a brick wall. And, uh, you know, going into that night, it was like, there's no way we're losing tonight. You know, and, and, and the, the worst part of being a major league player, there ain't too many. The only thing that kind of stinks is the travel, right? You fly coast to coast. So all I kept thinking to myself was, there is no way I'm flying from San Francisco to Cincinnati, losing a game, and then flying back to San Francisco the next day. Like, that's not happening on my watch. So I'm like, we're at least staying for two days. So uh, that was kind of the mentality, you know, you need little things like that to kind of just kick you in the butt every once in a while. And that was it for me and went out and then, and, you know, I threw the ball pretty good. And to be honest, like that is the toughest major league game I've ever pitched in my life. Um, first playoff game. So you're nervous. Uh, you don't want to let the fans down. You don't want to let your teammates down. We're in a very hostile environment in Cincinnati. Their lineup was so good. It was very underrated. But you look at the lineup they had, it was it was really, really good. Tough to pitch to. And then you're in a crappy ballpark like uh, Great American. I don't even know if it's called that anymore. But, um, you know, you make a you make a bad pitch by an inch there and a, and a fly ball becomes a home run. So by far the, the most intense and most difficult game I've ever pitched in my life. Yeah, it was, it was an incredible game, man. And, and you going back and forth with Homer Bailey, final score was two to one in that game. You went five innings of one run ball. How about the ground ball that Joaquin Arias hits that, that breaks that whole thing up, that he ends up legging that out to first base. And, and Scott Rowland is one of the all-time great third basemen over there. You need the help like that. You got to catch some breaks over the course of a, a big league season. But to see Scott Rowland, a guy who makes that play, I think, a, you know, a thousand times out of a thousand, sort of scoop one and make a mistake, had to be sort of your guy's window or your little doorway into saying, we can get through this thing. Yeah, I just remember, you know, I, I remember before that, like Brian Wilson was in a dugout and, and I came out of the game and he come over and gave me a hug and I go, dude, there's no way we lose this game. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, man, we just scored a run and we don't even have a hit. Yep. Like you don't do that and lose a baseball game. Like it doesn't happen. So 
you just, I kind of had a feeling that something a little off kilter was going to happen that night. I just was hoping at that point it was going to go in our favor, but you know what, that, that play that, you know, and I love Scott Rowland, great player. He's probably going to be in the hall of fame. Um, I hate that it happened to him, but I also love that it happened to him because it, it, that that's the thing that kind of opened the floodgates, right? That play kind of changed, changed everything for, for what happened next. Those are the breaks, man. The floodgates ended up being game five, right? I mean, that's that's one of my all-time favorite games in Giants history. Buster's grand slam off of Latos, who, again, got moved up a day because Johnny Cueto got hurt in game one of the series. Maybe he wouldn't have even been out there. And Giants had a great back-and-forth rivalry with Latos over the years. That's one of the all-time great Buster moments, as well as Giants moments. What was the dugout like after that grand slam, man? It had to be ignited, because I know you still needed some outs, still need to finish off the ball game, but that was an incredible sort of cap on the comeback, it seemed like, for you guys. Yeah, so I was actually in the bullpen the whole game. You know, game game five like that in that series is like a game seven. So it's all hands on deck. You know, it doesn't matter if you threw 100 pitches a day before you were you were ready to go. So all the everybody on the staff was in the bullpen. Um, so I was actually in the bullpen when he hit it. And I just remember, you know, kind of talking, talking him through the bat, you know, like, come on, Buster, get on the backside of one here or something like that. It's kind of something that I used to say a lot about getting on the backside of the baseball. And he did it and it was gone. I mean, you know, you want to talk about taking the air out of like 40,000 people. (laughs) (laughs) He did it, you know, and that place, you know, that place gets pretty loud. And they were they were into that series, even though, you know, we were we were making a run at him and making a push that that game five was it was pretty loud. And, you know, he he stomach punched, you know, 40,000 people at one time. Ain't a whole lot of people that say they can do that. And he did it. Well, what was quieter, that or Brandon Crawford in Pittsburgh in 2014? Oof, it's close because Pittsburgh was way louder. Yeah. So, so the stomach punch was, was, uh, you know, it seemed more intense, but I think, I think when Buster stomach punched Cincinnati and it's crazy. So, so back home right now, I, I coach high school baseball. Like I help out and, and the head, the, the pitching coaches from Cincinnati who was actually at that game, oh. the son. So, and he brings it up all the time. And I, I think it's great. It makes me laugh every time. It makes me smile. Like I am right now because, uh, you know, being in being in places in baseball history, you know, you can't replace that. And, uh, you know, it's something you can never take away from me. Everybody's got a story, I think, about that game. I had to lie to a, a professor in college. My buddy and I, my roommate and I went to our teacher and said we had we made up some BS story about something we had to go do to pay some rent thing just so we could get back to our couch because it was like an 11 a.m. game or something back here in the Bay Area. Yeah, you know what's crazy? Now, yeah. now that you're a little bit older, if you'd have just went and told him, he'd have been like, all right, man. Yeah. <laughs> You're a kid. You think you got to come up with some story, some elaborate <laughs> yeah. ruse to get out of it. I was like, I just want to see yeah. the Giants win game five, man. That's all I'm trying to see. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. We, we haven't even talked about to, about Marco Scudero coming over, man. Marco Scudero, unbelievable. 61 games. He hits 362 after the trade and 859 OPS. He drives in 44 and scores 40 runs in 61 games. Seemed like he fit perfectly into that clubhouse, fit perfectly into what you guys had. What does a guy like that do for a team when it seemed like every time he came up, this guy's just going to get a hit? I can't even remember a time it seemed like in the final couple of months of that season where he recorded now yeah man it was you know uh when we traded for him you know obviously we we as players here hear every all the outside noise that's going on right and they're like why we trade for him who's marco scudero he's he's too old right and i'm going heck yeah you know like because i had faced him in the past i had faced him in venezuela um in 2004 and I'm going, this dude's a professional hitter, man. And I'm like, this guy's, this guy don't have a heartbeat. He's like, he's like Dracula up there. Like we could, we could be in game seven, three, two in the ninth. And this dude's heart rate is not going to change. 
Um, and I'm like, this is the guy we need on our side. So when we traded for him, I was pumped. Um, you know, there, there was people saying he couldn't play defense. And I'm like, I don't care. This dude can hit, man. And you know what? He came over and did all of that hitting and he played great defense. Um, you know, and he just, to me, to me, Marco will always be, he is the silent assassin. He never said a whole lot, never was loud, never was showy. He just hit the ball, right? He just drove in runs and, and, and made plays. And he was just, as Javi Lopez would say, he was the blockbuster deal, man. He was the best player in the, in the trade that year. And I love Hunter, but but Scudero outplayed him. <laughs> Hunter might have been the heartbeat, and then uh, and then he yeah, put it all yeah. together because you needed them both for sure. You needed them both. Absolutely, hundred percent. Marco Scudero, as you pointed out, man, he was an assassin with the bat. Wins the LCS MVP, and dude, you were incredible in that that NLCS. You guys go down three one. You were two and zero in that postseason or in that series, I should say. Zito has the brilliant start in Game Five. I think one of the Giants fans remember forever. But then you come right back in Game Six uh, at home, trailing three games to one. Two of the best games I think Giants fans have ever seen. You you basically were the stopper yet again. How much did did having been in that situation in the division series play that role for you in Game Six in the LCS? Yeah, you know, um, God works in mysterious ways, man. And I feel like um, all the struggles that I had gone through before in my career, like it, it got me ready for the postseason in 2012. Um, it, it made me realize how to control my emotions, how to control the intensity, how to control the environment, how to control the bats. And I think, you know, he was setting me up for that. And it just, it came through, you know, I, I never panicked. I never let the situation get too big. All I did was try and focus on Buster's glove and make as many pitches as I could make. And uh, that's really all I tried to do in 2012. I never tried to overcomplicate it. Um, no matter what situation I was in, it was see Buster's glove, try and hit the, the glove with the pitch I was trying to make. And uh, I did it a lot in that postseason. And now I, I can tell you this, man, that's the best I've ever thrown the ball in the major leagues in my life was those two games. Yeah, game six was a lot of fun, man. I mean, that's, you, you got to force the game seven and Giants-Cardinals. There's that rivalry there, the old National League rivalry, 0-2-87. I mean, we'd seen it a number of times throughout postseason history, especially uh, uh, here in San Francisco. So you go to the World Series. And I, I remember being a kid and hearing uh, Luis Gonzalez after 2001 talk about getting that walk-off hit against Mariano Rivera. And he said all he was thinking was it's game seven World Series, bases loaded, tie game. It's everything every kid's every kid who's ever picked up a bat and ball has dreamt about. You take the mound up to nothing. I think you were in Detroit for game three, right? When you yes, had sir. your start, what's going through your mind, man? I mean, to everything you just talked about, everything you'd been through in your career, it wasn't just about getting to this moment. Did you have an opportunity to appreciate it while understanding what the magnitude of the moment was and staying in line with what your job was in the time? Yeah, man, you know, I, I had time to reflect and it actually helped me. So, I mean, every, all Giants fans know that I kind of, I worked off of anger, right? And I worked off of rage and I worked off the chip on my shoulder. So I go out in Detroit to, to warm up before the game. I go down the right field line and I got all the Detroit fans yelling at me, um, you know, talking trash. And man, that's what I grew up with. I grew up playing basketball, you know, with all my buddies in the park. And that's what we did. So when fans started talking trash to me, all it did was fuel me. It, it made me want to play better. And it, what it did was it gave me a chance to sit there and think about all the bad stuff I had been through in my career. And it was like, it was kind of like a movie where I did a little flashback, right? And I, and I sat there for like two minutes and all these images started popping in my head about getting released and getting told I, I wasn't good enough and I'm getting told I needed to go to Japan and 
you know, hey, we're going to release you again. And it, it, it made me mad, right? And that's exactly what I needed because I took it out on them. Uh, I remember going to the bullpen, and, that's, and, and I was never a really good warm-up guy before a game. Um, I, I remember warming up so good and walking out of that bullpen in Detroit going, this game was over. And I only ever did that twice in my career. One was game six in NLCS against the Cardinals after uh, James Hatfield from Metallica said, let's kick some Cardinal ass. <laughs> I walked out of the bullpen and I thought to myself, this game's over. And then in 2012, in the game three in the World Series in Detroit, um, I warmed up so good. I walked out of the bullpen and I said to myself in my head, this game is over. Um, so it was just a perfect storm, man. Like, I was supposed to be in that moment in that time. And that little flashback two minutes got me mad and got me right in the right spot to go out and do what I needed to do. And, you know, also you can't, you can't go away from what our team was, right? We did all, everything that we did was for the guy next to you and you didn't want to let your teammate down. Right. So that's always in the back of your head too. And uh, it, it kind of drove all of us. Man, it's a, it's a great identity to have because I think that's how, when we look back as fans, I think that's how we remember that team. A team, you know, 2010 was the team of misfits, but 2012 was the team of, that wasn't an accident. We, we can do this thing again. And not only did you do it again, when I think back about the, the guys that you guys beat in, in sweeping a World Series, I imagine, A, that's got to be a badge of honor because I believe still to this point, it's the last sweep in a World Series going back to, to 2012. You guys beat Verlander, Scherzer, Fister, and Anibal Sanchez. It wasn't, I mean, nobody's a scrub at this level and nobody's a scrub in the world series we're talking about some of the all-time great pitchers and you guys swept that world series you know you know what the, the the part that stands out the most for me about that sweep and i'm and, and this goes to the this goes to our defense too right and you know we had some really big hits in that in that series absolutely you know pablo hits three homers in game one right posey hits the homer in, in game four to, to put us ahead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We had, we had some really big offensive moments and that's what you need in the, in the playoffs, right? You have to pitch, play good defense and you need timely hitting. That's what wins it. But what stands out to me in that playoffs is we threw two shutouts, right? We threw, we threw back-to-back -back shutouts in a world series and that hadn't been done since 1979 with the Baltimore Orioles. And I don't think it's been done since. You know, and going into that series, everyone was saying how their staff, their bullpen was so much better than ours, right? And we just went in there and proved them all, everybody wrong and said, no, we're, we're the best pitching team in the MLB right now. We're the best rotation. We have the best bullpen. And we went and stuffed it up. We stuffed it right up their ass, right? And we proved to everybody that we were the best team. It's incredible, man. It really is cool. I'm so glad you guys think about it that way and look back on it like, yeah, man, they told us we weren't going to do it. Every year you guys were underdogs, uh, 10, 12, and 14 that you guys went on to won the World Series and every year played out in the Giants' favor. Hey, before we let you go, uh, sort of fun at the end. I thought it'd be cool to, you were talking about it, going to your dark place, pitching with anger. I know fans love hearing the story about how you got into that place, how nobody wanted to talk to you on game day, or I don't say nobody wanted to, nobody was allowed to talk to you on game day. <laughs> you had a pregame meal, I think you were telling me one time a couple yeah. years ago, it was an enchilada and all that tell us about how you started using the chip on your shoulder to your benefit because obviously you had to get all that stuff or all that stuff that had to happen to you or you'd had to battle through it you grow through what you go through that whole mentality and you get to this point with the giants that chip is what made you great man you know it's um it was it, it kind of evolved over time and it took getting released in 2010 uh to kind of realize that that's how who i was and who i needed to be um 
there had been parts of my career that were kind of like that, where the focus came in. Um, But I didn't know that's why I was pitching good when I, when I did it. Right. Uh, So when I get released in 2010 and and right around uh, right after the all-star break, I went home and it was kind of the first time in my career that I was at home, not playing baseball. I mean, I couldn't even go down the street and play, you know, for my adult league team. Um, So I'm sitting there going, what, what am I going to change? What, what do I have to do different? So I don't keep making the same mistakes. If I get another chance to do this, what am I going to do different? And everything I came back to was focus, right? Focus and, and being in every pitch of every game, and that's it. So that's what I did. And the more and more I did that, some of that translated into anger. And honestly, like when I stepped on the mound, I wanted to kill everybody on the other team. Um, I needed that edge to to have confidence and feel like I was prepared to to win and I needed that edge mentally to know that I was more prepared than the other team and that I was going to out focus the other team but I also wanted to fight everyone too um (laughs) and it's just who I was that's how I grew up that's who I that's how that's who I had to be right and uh the great thing about Boach and these teams was he let it, he let every guy be who they needed to be. Like I was totally opposite than Timmy. Timmy needed to have fun and be jumping around and dancing. Right. And I needed to be locked in and wanted to fight. Um, but, but that's, it took me a while to figure that out. And that's why it took me so long to, to, to get to where I wanted to be. And um, I, I'll tell you this, I'm grateful for, for my teammates with San Francisco that I had at that time. Because I don't think everybody in this game would have let me be who I wanted to be. But they understood that that's who I had to be to, to, to pitch the way I needed to pitch for us to get where we were going to be. And listen, they, they gave me a hard time times and joking around. And I, I knew they were joking around. It wasn't malicious. Um, but, but, but thank goodness for them for letting me be that way to, to perform how I needed to perform. It's awesome, man. It's all about uh, 25 guys and now 26 guys coming together for a common goal. It's what makes baseball so special. And those personalities, I think, are what, what attract fans. You get to be, you know, you're in our households every day for six months or seven months or eight months if it's to the playoffs. And so when you get those personalities, I think it, uh, it just enhances the fan base. And it's why we love having you back, man. Uh, have a great time this weekend celebrating 2012. I know all the fans are appreciative. You're one of our favorites and uh, one of the great stories in Giants history. Thanks, Bogey. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, man. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Oh, man, there's that great saying, how can you not be romantic about baseball? How can you not be fired up and, and have a smile on your face when hearing from Ryan Vogelsong, one of the all-time great stories in Giants history, one of the great baseball stories, a guy who was traded over in 2001, had fewer than 13 wins, had fewer than 12 or 11 wins in his five-plus years with the Pirates, ends up having to get Tommy John surgery, goes to Japan, comes on back, and for him to, to tell us the real-life story of him feeling like, you know, this is it. My baseball career, I think, is over if I don't get a September call-up, not was he not just a September call-up? He was huge for the 2011 team, huge for the 2012 team, pitched for the Giants like all the way through 2015. Ended up sticking around for years and years and years and went back to Pittsburgh even for one more uh, final stint with the Pirates before he hung it up and called it a career. He's out on the uh, the Wall of Fame, uh, one of the, the favorite Giants, I think, of many people, who was not necessarily a, a front-line guy. He was like a number four and five starter, but you knew when he was going, you were going to get his best. He was going to get everything in his guts uh, was going to come out and leave it on the field. And hearing him still 
talk about it in that fashion. I think he looks at these as, as the glory days of his career, and certainly we were all happy to share those with him. So a lot of fun talking to Ryan Vogelsong today, and it's going to be a lot of fun on Saturday reliving some of those moments. I'm excited to see Marco Scudero out on the field. Marco Scudero, one of the great giants who uh, we don't get a lot of memories from anymore. We don't see him around the ballpark or anything like that. He was sort of a journeyman player, but they do not win that World Series without the uh, the offense from uh, from Marco Scudero. Again, I legit can't even think of a time that guy made now. I know he hit 360 in the uh, the final couple of months with the Giants in those uh, 60 games or whatever he played. But incredible, man, that this guy was able to put together the season that he had for San Francisco and then was able to come back for a couple more years. I know a lot of people think about the knee injury and the Matt Holiday slide didn't keep Scudero from winning the, uh, the NLCS MVP and ultimately the 2012 World Series title over the Detroit Tigers. So, a lot of fun. Everybody enjoy the game this weekend. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe to us. You don't want to miss an episode of the Inside Giant Moments podcast all season long. we still got a lot of fun stuff coming up over the next couple of months. So, big thank you to Kelsey. Big thank you to Anuj. She's been helping for the last couple of weeks on the podcast. And thank you to you, the listener. Enjoy the celebration on Saturday. Enjoy the walk down memory lane. We'll be back with you next week for another edition of the Inside Giant Moments podcast. Until then, I'm your host, Adam Copeland. We'll talk to you then. Swing and a draw! Home run for Brandon Crawford. This. What a performance from Logan Webb tonight. Camilo Doval gets the save. Is. Yastrzemski. Gone! And late night Lamont strikes, strikes again. again. Belt was all over it. The captain. Inside Giant Moments. It's headed for the bay. The third of the night for Jock Peterson. With Adam Copeland. Well, strikeouts and they're on their feet here at Oracle Park for Carlos Rodon. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.